Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries, share the real truths about marketing, and empower you to become a real marketer. I've been in marketing a long time, and over the years, I've developed my go-to list of fellow marketers. You know, the ones I reach out to when I have a question about a specific topic, or the ones I connect others with that have a question about the same topic. And there's one person in my network that I immediately think of anytime I have a paid media question or someone else I know needs help in that area. He's basically a paid media guru, and I don't say that word lightly. He not only knows how you should think about your paid media strategy, but all the tips and tricks on how to actually implement it. Because after 15 years of doing it, he still likes being hands-on and setting up paid media campaigns himself. And somehow, I convinced him to do his first actual podcast interview and tell us all of his secrets. Trust me, this is going to be one of the most helpful episodes we've done if paid media is part of your marketing strategy. You might want to take some notes. In this episode, we chat with Brett Westerman, founder at October Media, specializing in B2B and B2C paid media. He has more than 15 years of marketing experience, driving incredible SEO and paid media results for various B2B and B2C brands. We're talking about all things paid media, including why you're missing out if you're not investing in Spotify and YouTube right now, his secret hacks for driving incredible performance with LinkedIn ads, why Google is both your friend and your foe, and so much more. I am so excited to have you on. And before we get to talking about all things paid media, tell me something that few people know about you. Uh, Yeah, sort of a funny brief anecdote where probably 10 years ago or so, the day before I decided to propose to my wife, we were in Chicago visiting friends and, and I was in Wrigleyville, uh, parallel parking my car, wasn't very good at that. And I might've maybe hit her with my car, uh, a few hours before proposing to her. So that was a little embarrassing, but she still said yes. And wait, you hit her with your car. I hit her with my car trying to parallel park. Um, but <laughs> and she still said yes. <laughs> she still, and you're happily married now. She still said yes. And we got married and had kids. And so, so yeah, it didn't, didn't ruin anything. I've never heard someone say that story. That is, I can only imagine what you must have thought initially. I, yeah, I felt pretty bad, but, uh, but we still had a good time of it and yeah, it all worked out. (laughs) Well, let's talk about one of my favorite topics. And part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show is, you know, when someone asked me a question about who should I talk to about paid media, my first thought is you've got to talk to Brett. So I would love to kind of just start with you know, one of the things that I know is a hot topic for you, which is YouTube and Spotify and how they can really help brands with brand awareness campaigns. So let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing there. And, you know, I know for me, I've never thought about advertising on Spotify. Mm -hmm. So tell me like what I'm missing. 
Sure. Um, reasons I love both YouTube and Spotify, they are great for reach and for being both super affordable. Um, so if you need to reach a, a, a wide audience um, with either a limited or a robust budget, both will get you the most bang for your buck. So yeah, let's start with Spotify, like you mentioned. Um, so you've been able to run uh, direct placements with them for a few years, though you had to have a certain uh, budget per month, and it wasn't self-serve at all. You had to go through an account team. Um, recently this year, they rolled out a self-serve platform. Um, and so with that, um, one of their big promotions was that they really don't have a minimum spin threshold. You know, it's like $200. Um, and they take away any roadblocks with having to produce your own audio spot. Um, so really, you provide a script to them, uh, 70 words, something that fits in about 30 seconds. Um, and literally, like two hours later, you will get back a uh, production quality voice narrator reading your script. Um, in addition, Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's really that simple. Um, and then from there, you can you can ask for revisions. You could say, well, you know, I don't really like the tone or the pacing. Um, furthermore, you're able to specify, well, like a middle-aged female um, with, you know, with this tone. And so you give all that direction, creative direction, and, and you get back your, your asset. It's wonderful. Um, so why are more companies like, I'm just quasi speechless, I guess, maybe. <laughs> why are more companies doing this? I mean, they're doing all the, I mean, there's no minimum spend. Like I'm, what's the catch? Like, I feel like I'm waiting for the catch, Brett. Sure. Uh, no minimum spend. And Targeting is not as good as it could be. So uh, you can use, they're calling interest-based targeting that they are building off of your podcast consumption habits. And so from that, they could uh, make an assumption that you are a parent or you are into technology or you're into finance. But those are, you know, that's a bit of a dotted line. So the interest-based targeting isn't so great. Um, the follow-up after the initial listen is lacking because there's no there's no audio pixel that then I could retarget you you know with a banner ad or so they don't you know it sort of it it ends there unfortunately um, but other than that you know what we're seeing is uh, cost per listens of uh, literally a penny a penny and a half is what I've been paying uh, wow and, and this is a captive audience like I, I don't think you can really skip ads on Spotify. Um, and so someone is listening to 30 seconds of you talk about your brand for a penny and a half. So what kind of CTAs are you using? Are they just like brand awareness just to get the people familiar with you? And then are you following that up with other ads across other channels? Tell me more about like the goal of that and what people should expect if they did something. Yeah, often it is, it is awareness. So you want to be heavy on your brand. So they walk away remembering something about you. Um, you know, click-through rates are about what you would see on, on a standard display banner. So something around 0.01%. So not amazing, but with the reach we're getting, you know, 0.01% still equals real eyeballs at a certain point. So once you get the clicks, then they're over to your site and then you can shackle them with a pixel, so to speak. And, and then you can do all the retargeting that you want. But, but as far as CTAs, usually it's, it's about learning more. Um, if there is an offer that you're mentioning in the ad, you know, take advantage of the offer. Um, 
something that's time-based or limited, limited time, uh, you know, is often. So yeah, yeah, uh, really it's good reach and it's affordable. So everyone should be doing Spotify. You can really just go to uh, Spotify ad studio and create a free account and, and get started from there. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Especially with the no monthly, no monthly minimums. I feel like sometimes when I look at other channels, they always have like a minimum. I'm like, well, that's way too much to commit to, to get started to see if it even works mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. I believe it is 200 or 250, but in the scheme of things like that it's is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Most ad platforms, you know, it'll be uh, 10,000. I was no. going to say there's a comma usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so this is great to throw into your mix. Uh, you know, if you're testing out for the holidays, you've got a little extra budget left over, um, like literally for $200, you could, you could test out a new, a new campaign with a client, or if you're in-house, you know, see what you can do for awareness to end out the year. So let's talk YouTube then. I mean, are you doing similar things on YouTube or what, what are you seeing work there? Cause I think for me, if I think back to like when I've used YouTube in the past, I mean, years ago for ads, mm-hmm. it wasn't probably the channel that it is today. Um, and the results I saw weren't that great. So I'd love to know kind of what's working in 2020. What has improved with YouTube um, over the past few years is their uh, increasing specificity with targeting. So their custom audiences that you can build have just gotten better and better. Uh, you know, the more data they gather on users out there and understand behavior, you know, we can create what are called in-market audiences. So someone is literally in the market for the thing that you are selling, you know, based on their browsing behavior. You know, they've gone to seven car sites and specifically they've they filled out lead forms and like, oh, so they're in the market for a vehicle. So we can create tight audiences. Um, other examples would be uh, an affinity affinity audience. So based on your, again, browsing behavior or app consumption, you have an affinity or an interest in a certain topic. Or here's here's my new favorite. Um, You can create an audience based on competitive URLs and your competitor's apps. So Wait, what? Yes. Hold on. I feel like this is really important. <laughs> like everyone needs to write this down. So effectively you're putting a, a I'll call it a digital lasso around your competitor's traffic. And if they've got apps that are consumer facing, not like an internal app, um, you can also target users of that app. So imagine how powerful that is if you want to do not even just an awareness campaign, but a conquesting campaign. Um, specifically going after uh, competitors. Um, So wonderful targeting. And that's really, I think that's the secret sauce. And so if you do what's right with the targeting and you avoid all the things that is generally wrong with Google ads, which is junk mobile app inventory, uh, over-serving of your ad, where you let the frequency just get out of control, um, or... Um, you know, not putting the right guardrails in terms of, you know, the interest you don't want to tackle. So if you put, if you put the right, you know, guardrails in place, then Google generally does a good job. Okay. So you mentioned Google and I know you and I both have like a love hate relationship (laughs) with all things Google AdWords related. So I would love to just, let's talk about like some real truths around what, 
what's great about, you know, the Google ad network mm-hmm. and also what's horrible. So rant away, Brett. <laughs> yeah, let's get real. Um, so what do I love about Google? I mean, they, I mean, they're the bread and butter in which I've built my business. So, you know, I've got a lot to thank them for, as do a lot of marketers. Um, so, yeah, why are they great? Uh, we can literally access the entire world, more or less, of Internet users. Like, that's something you, we just don't even question it, you know. Uh, you know, traditional media, you would think, well, you know, what's the circulation of this print ad or, or who's driving past this highway billboard? Like, no, like literally Google just gets in front of every eyeball in the world. So, so that's great. Um, you know, they've got this integration across their suite of products that is, that is seamless. You know, it, it sort of just works for the most part. Um, like Google analytics, you've got YouTube that I just mentioned. Um, you know, you can dotted line it over to their suite of SEO tools, uh, keyword planning tools that are all essentially free. You know, we've all been gifted these tools that work elegantly together. Um, no minimum budgets. You know, we just mentioned that a minute ago. Uh, getting access to networks and, you know, special groups of, of eyeballs often comes with a minimum spend or, or a tacked on uh, premium price. Like, no, like I could spend $2 a day on a search campaign if I wanted. So, so there, there tears down that, that barrier for anybody just starting to get in. Um, and one more good part before we get into my complaints, um, the system getting smarter and smarter over the years. So I sort of mentioned that with YouTube, how you can get better with audience targeting and the specificity with that. Um, the, the algorithmic bidding mechanism that's going on behind everything that they do, every auction ad that's served, um, you know, where it's priced at, who it's served to, like that's just superior to any, any simple human, human brain at this point. Like we can admit that. Um, the machines won with algorithmic bidding. Um, so you could tell them, you know, I'm running the search campaign and my goal is to get the most conversions. I don't care how much it costs or I want to hit this target CPA or this target ROAS. And they do it really well. You know, I used to second guess them when uh, bid strategies first came out, but now I don't even. I get to a bid strategy as soon as I can once we have enough data. So that's great. Um, Algorithmically running ads. Uh, the responsive search ads that we now can run where years past, Stephanie, I would have to say like, here's my headline, here's my headline, here's my description. Like it's this static ad and I would create, you know, three to five versions and they'd be a little different. And, and later I'd have to analyze my data and say, well, what worked? And you know, was it the headline? Now I, I can give Google, here's 10 headlines. Here are four different descriptions and go. And like, it's literally running a multivariate test for me, right? Like what you would probably have to pay software lots of money to do, or you would need a lot of manpower to do, or what literally like could be my full-time job. And it's just doing it for us rather effectively. And it used to be your full-time job, <laughs> right? Like you'd have like a massive yeah. spreadsheet, all oh. these things. Yeah. Yeah. Giant spreadsheet. Um, so it's made our lives much easier as marketers and more effective as marketers. 
Well, and it's also, I think, helped, you know, like back in the day, and I'm going to date myself, right? Like there used to be, there used to be other search engines, you guys. I know some of you only know Google, but there used to be things like called Bing. And I mean, I could go on and on. Um, but today, right, Google just occupies so much of search traffic that you really, if you can do well on Google, it can be a huge boom for your company. Yes. And you can scale. That's the biggest thing that I love. Um, once I find something that works on Google, like I mentioned earlier, the reach, um, like you can scale what works. And that's then the game changer. Um, because, you know, you can get a, a 10x return for what's, you know, 2x my energy. So now we're talking real gains here. So yeah, there's a lot to love. But but let's get to the butts. The butts are my favorite, right? Like, but there's a lot to, I mean, dislike, hate, whatever word we want to use. Yeah. Um, and Twitter is full of all search marketers. It's very cathartic, I think, for us to complain about Google, you know, out there. Um, I think the general trend is they are pushing to gather more of your budget while simultaneously taking away your ability to know where that budget's going, to control where it's going, and lately to some extent, the data that they're giving you about that performance. So I don't like, you know, those three trends. I'm sure you don't as a marketer. Uh, super frustrating. No. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think um, we can dive into, you know, those in a more detail, but like one of the other things that I think has been, I'd add to the list maybe as a fourth item is it's back about getting more of your budget. But how many times have people gotten an email from Google? That's like, I'd like to be able to help you with all of your campaigns. Right. And someone's like, Oh, Google wants to talk to us. I'm like, no, they don't want to talk to you. They want to get more money. <laughs> like they're, will they be helpful? I mean, maybe, but like that, their whole purpose is, is to get you to spend more. It's not this like altruistic, like I want to help everyone get better at search or at display. Mm -hmm. It is, I want more of your budget. I always suggest that if you do get an outreach from a, a Google specialist, that you take the call. Um, because at the very least, you know, in a 30 minute conversation, you're going to learn one to two things that maybe you didn't know. Um, and if you can just patiently listen as they tell you to bid your display ad super broad, or maybe you take those guardrails down. Um, sometimes you'll find some nuggets that are helpful. And actually what I really like is, gosh, after probably listening to dozens and dozens of these reps, I really now know like their process, their script really, of how they think about ads or campaigns. Because, you know, I've had friends that have done this before and, you know, on their, their roster of clients, like they literally probably have 70 to 80 clients in a month. And so how do you keep all that straight? Well, you've got a very specific process that you go through to know how to quickly sort of turn a, an account around and try to nudge them towards your, you know, your internal objectives as well. But, but yeah, always take the call because you'll find something that, that helps. All right. So let's talk about the other stuff with your rants on Google, like what do you wish Google was doing or how, how do you think about with these challenges that we all face using Google as a marketer with a limited paid budget? What are things that we can do in order to make it work better for us? I guess. Mm -hmm. um, one, I would say 
awareness. Be aware of your settings. Like know uh, where you are bidding and how are you finding an audience because they make it very easy um, when creating a campaign to just to just uh, not not untick that box that they have checked for you. Um, one of here's a great example. I was complaining about this last week on Twitter. So when you create a new display campaign, all right, um, there is an automatically checked box that after I have specified, oh, these are my interests. These are just the people that I want to reach. There is an auto-checked box that says, uh, would you like us to expand your audience to reach 11 million more uh, impressions? That, like, that's, that's it. Like, wh- okay. Super vague. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, but what? <laughs> I mean, in theory, to their credit, they probably take my bid strategy and they say, this is what Brett wants to accomplish. And we think we can find those people, you know, maybe better than he can. Um, there's probably a, there's probably more than a grain of truth in that. But guys, like we're jumping to 11 million. Like that, that's the population of like Ohio, right? That's 11. a lot of people. <laughs> Um, and furthermore, how will I know if the audiences and the interests that I was prescriptive about, how will I know that those worked when otherwise, you know, you're going off to the races, um, to find other audiences, you know, when I run a campaign, I first and foremost is results, performance. Um, after that it's insights and learning. Like I need to know what I can grow upon, uh, what I can maybe pull over to another channel even. So, so don't deny me, uh, insights. And so that sort of automated expansion, uh, does just that. I was literally just talking to someone about that today about <laughs> LinkedIn. Cause they have a similar little checkbox that's automatically checked. It's like, do you want to expand your audience network? And I'm like, mm. okay, I know this sounds good, but like, <laughs> you may not want to check that box. Like your budget might spin a lot faster than you think it would normally. If you run up against the ceiling, like say you found what works. Yeah. yeah. And then you need to scale like, all right, we'll, we'll loosen up the reins a little bit. And I have found that to be effective. Go out and find me more, more people like this. It's sort of like, you know, creating a lookalike audience on Facebook or what Google calls similar audiences. Um, it's a nice, expansion once you've found your ceiling. No, I completely agree, but it's not always the best place to get started. No. Nope. Definitely not. (laughs) Okay. Anything else that you find that most marketers like have a misconception about Google or using it in a way that is, you're just like, oh man, why do you do that? Mm, I would say the one that's just been bugging me all year too. Um, a lot of folks assume that uh, display and YouTube are not the effective channels that hopefully I've convinced you they can be. And I think a lot of that is, uh, well, one, it's due to not unchecking those boxes I mentioned. Um, and two, it is not being aware of all the mobile app inventory that Google is flooding advertisers with. And so, 
So this is now the default. You know, in years past, you could do a specific exclusion that that told Google Ads that you don't want to appear for for mobile mobile app inventory. You know, wh why is that? Um, you get a lot of accidental clicks. You know, with big thumbs. Um, apps are probably not the environment you'll find the most receptive audience. Right? They're in an app because they want to accomplish whatever that app is offering them. They are not in a browsing mode or a passive viewing mode like you might have on YouTube. So you get a lot of junk clicks and traffic. Um, or let's say nowadays, COVID, uh, parents sharing their iPad with their child. You know, that iPad is logged into a certain, to the parent's Google account and targeting them as such. And then, then you've got your kid watching videos and playing, uh, playing games, and they're getting served your your B two B ad, right? That doesn't make sense. So, and then they click on it because they're like, "What's this? I <laughs> accidentally didn't mean to tap that." Oh, um, so what can we do about this? Um, I mentioned it used to be easy; you could exclude um, right across the board mobile app inventory. Nowadays, you have to very specifically go into your placements uh, settings. Go further into exclusions, go further into mobile app categories. And then we're not done yet. You have to then check every category type within each app ecosystem. So all the iOS categories and the category could be parenting, medical, uh, music, entertainment. So literally we've got probably a hundred. And so you go through and you manually check all 100. And then you go over to the Play Store and you do the same darn thing. Um, so the t it's probably about five minutes of just mindlessly clicking boxes. But um, despite the frustration, it will greatly improve your display campaigns, your YouTube campaigns. I mean, right now, go in and do a placement report for your YouTube and your display. And then you know, do a filter for how many of those are mobile apps. So look how much money you're spending. Um, what's the performance versus the non-mobile apps? And like you are going to see a world of difference with these exclusions. And is that one of the things that you find a lot of times, like when you talk to brands that have been doing search and they feel like they're just not getting a lot of results? It's really, you know, part of it, I know, obviously, is creative and messaging, but also part of it's just placement. They're putting it in their ads in places they just don't even realize that are never going to drive them the traffic that they want. That's correct. Um, sometimes it is a result of, uh, let's say, legacy accounts. Either it gets passed between hands internally or passed from agency to agency. And so those settings that were put in place on a campaign years ago um, that haven't been thought about in years. Um, and if the campaign's doing okay, sometimes there's a hesitation to change maybe what's working um, or the new in-house lead doesn't, doesn't know to check for this campaign or for this setting. Um, or lastly, the account could be just in a, in a, I call it a Frankenstein mess. If it's past so many hands, you know, your Google ad structure could be all over the place. Like everybody had their own way of doing it. Um, so, so that could hide a lot of deficiencies in your setup. So let's just like kind of maybe take it back to just B2B paid campaigns in general, because that's, I know, primarily where you spend a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had to talk to someone about 
thinking about their paving their strategy, you know, maybe starting fresh in 2021, what would you recommend to them? Where do they start or what should they be paying attention to? Yes. Great. Um, my two darlings on B2B acquisition. So this is more, more direct response than, than all the awareness tactics I mentioned earlier. So one LinkedIn, God bless them. LinkedIn has just improved their platform leaps and bounds, um, both with targeting, um, with uh, just the platform itself, like the ease of creation has gotten better. Um, so what do I like about LinkedIn? One, I love their lead form um, ad type. So this is not uh, an ad you see in your LinkedIn feed that you click through to a landing page and you know you fill out a form and all that, but it is where you you click the ad and then right there within the LinkedIn experience, um, the form flips over with fields pre-populated, you know, with your name and your position and maybe your company. So to receive this, say it's a white paper or an ebook, um, you just have to fill out these fields that are pre-populated for you. So the work is done. Um, and, and from there, you know, you collect that, connect that to your CRM. You've got the person in your system. They have the ebook that they wanted right away. Um, so I see great conversion rates on that. Uh, the quality sometimes from the lead form is slightly lower than if you had taken the new landing page, acquainted them to your brand, to that environment. But still, you know, I'm getting 15% conversion rates, um, great CPAs under $50, you know, for a B2B lead, um, I'm going to take that any day. So you should all be doing at least lead form extensions with, with some lead magnet or, you know, asset. Um, as far as the targeting behind lead forms or even just any ad on LinkedIn, um, here's a new uh, tip I picked up with some, from some friends on uh, Twitter. Uh, actually, it was the podcast, uh, Marketing O'Clock, some, some super smart folks. And often you start your LinkedIn targeting with job titles, or, or industry, like that's where your mind goes. And that's what I've historically done. And um, it was when I switched instead to target by skills and groups that things really got interesting. So these are, you know, professional interests that you have chosen. You have um, gone out and said, I want to be in this group that's all about uh, healthcare marketers, or I have a stated interest or a stated skill in SEO keyword research, you know, so it goes beyond what is sort of the default that folks put up on LinkedIn, which is their title and their job and their company. And instead, they're sort of raising their hands and saying, here's something I'm really interested in, or this is a group that I self-identify with. And so if I start there, and then I segment that out by seniority levels, if you follow my architecture so far, um, so I can speak differently to the VPs and the directors as I would the managers. So you've got skills and groups segmented out by seniority. And I've found lately that's been a winning formula when you hit them with the lead formats. Very cool. So <laughs> thinking of that, you know, like, you know, how, so that 
obviously sounds amazing, but also like a lot of not like work, but complexity Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, getting started. How do you think about like, okay, if I want to do, if I want to get there, do I start first at a maybe lighter stage place and then kind of figure out what, what works in general and then get to more of your scaling situation where, you know, we're doing things like we we just talked about with groups and doing it by seniority, or are you suggesting like, Hey, screw all the stuff you used to do and let's go straight to this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're just starting and say you don't, you're a little maybe vague on your persona and you're not ready to double down on a skill set or a group. Um, and you need to build, let's say a little bit of awareness. Um, I like native LinkedIn videos, short form. And if you have the asset already, you know, something like 30 seconds. Um, what I love is you can serve this up. Uh, you can test out a bunch of audiences, get a lot of eyeballs, um, pretty cheap. And create a custom audience for yourself of anyone who has watched that video, um, which is prime for, you know, later retargeting. Um, Also with this, uh, you know, LinkedIn gives us some great data. You already mentioned earlier, you know, my frustration with Google takes away data. Um, So LinkedIn is wonderful with professional data. So you could run a campaign, uh, say this, this video campaign I mentioned, um, and then look at all the, the demographics and who has seen it, who has clicked it by, by every which way you want to slice the pie, seniority, industry, job title, um, et cetera. And so that, that could be a great starting point to give you an idea maybe of who your ad is resonating with um, and what might be a next area to go into next. Um, you know, for your campaign as you're trying to test out or, or scale up. I've known Brett for years and every time I chat with him, I learn something new about paid media that I want to implement like almost immediately. And that to me is the definition of a real marketer. They get shit done, share what's worked for them and what hasn't. And that's how we all get better at our jobs and push each other forward. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.